I've got some text messages here that I'm going to work my way through. The first one coming through, this is actually about your story this morning, uh, Robert. It says, if you consider just drinking water, six to eight glasses is one of the best medicines for your body. Probably makes sense. Clean body, clean mind. Absolutely. Amen. Maybe it's just this thing. Maybe you're just dehydrated. That's that's why you keep <laughs> chronic coughing or hiccuping or whichever other psychosomatic disease can be overcome. There's a book called The Body's Many Cries for Water, and it really fits with that. Mm, good stuff. We have another text here coming in. The Pope returned to good politics. What he means is Catholic politics. Don't be fooled. It's called double speech. And this is something that we touched on. It's like, obviously, like what he said, uh, you know, an appeal for democracy and, you know, to not be fooled by power and popular, popular, you know, um, fame hungry politicians is, yeah, we, we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, do that. We should, we should be standing for democracy. It's like, oh yeah, like heaps good point. Uh, but at the same time, he is also a politician. Uh, and, and so, you know, at the same time, it's a bit like, uh, pot, pot calling the kettle black, you know, whatever it may be. So, yeah. And you know, time's going to tell, I, I know that's right. Time is one of the best indicators. It's going to let us know exactly where this is all going. Hmm. We had another, uh, text message come. Oh, these are kind of, I've got, this is, this is kind of a conflicting. We've got two text messages that are about, um, the search terms on, on Bible Gateway. Uh-huh. And one is coming from one perspective, one's coming from the other perspective. So this, this one here is from Freco. It says the most popular search term, sorcery. It's to be expected when the media is pushing it continually. Demons rule this world at the moment. Um, uh, but God is in charge, um, and will allow it to, um, Go so far and no more, praise the Lord. Um, but children's shows and even cartoons are full of witchcraft and sorcery. And that's just like simply the truth. And it's like, okay. But from the other perspective, we also had Stephen text in and say, Revelation 18.23 says, For by their sorceries um, were all nations deceived. Mm. Um, sorceries in the Greek is pharmakia which according to the strong concordance means medication. I'd say it's the COVID vaccines driving up the searches on Bible gateway (laughs) and not Harry Potter. And I would be inclined to agree in terms of not Harry Potter, because I feel like Harry Potter is media that is kind of irrelevant now because it's been out for so long. But in terms of like, I I feel like it's, it's, it's both perspectives, but at the same time, this point on, on pharmacia and sorceries and the COVID vaccine. Well, that is definitely, because I said, Oh, what's the, What's the political or social movement that would be driving this increase? And that is definitely a correlation. Oh, I haven't heard of I hadn't thought of a connection between the, or, or, you know, the general population sort of viewing a connection between sorcery and uh, and COVID. Yeah, that's right. That's pretty deep. So I feel like it could go both ways. Like simply, you know, the popularization of, of witchcraft and sorcery in media, but also, you know, this heightened sense. And if we, yeah, get back to the root word of pharmacia, it's 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 a deep one. I think I loved your point before. Time will tell. We'll we'll see where the, which direction uh, the world the world is going. Uh-huh. We had another text come in. John Ashton interview. We worship a god of miracles who who throughout history has led his people. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament is living proof. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is good. And in that interview with John Ashton, just going on, you know, over some just miraculous feats. And things that God has done throughout history is powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, and finally, we've got a text here from David. Praise God for those brothers um, being baptized at your church on the weekend. We also had a couple baptisms at our church, which is so amazing to hear. 
I think That's like beautiful. we've come to the end of this year, and, and for me as a Bible worker, like my role is to you know we we have a cycle of evangelism at our church. So that is you know the first step is going out and you know finding people and running events. The next yeah. step is once we found those people who have spiritual interests, you know we cultivate them. You know, we we help them grow in their spiritual journey, and then finally, it's the the reaping process, and it and it's like you know giving them the opportunity to make a commitment to Jesus that'll last a lifetime. And um, you know, for the for this year, that's been quite difficult. Uh, it's been hard to carry out. You know, we're we're a campus ministry. We're on Newcastle Uni. We are called the Newcastle University Adventist Church, and Newcastle University has been closed for most of the year. Yeah. So it's been tough, but to see. That cycle still happening anyway, in spite of it, has been such a blessing to us. And I'm sure David here, talking about the baptisms, his church could totally, because it's not just been us with the with the university campus. It's been the you know the whole of Australia pretty much has been shut down. Well, at least New South Wales. So it's yeah, it has been quite tough. But the thing is, we're not just talking about joining a club. Mm. You know, we view church as a family. That's right. And you imagine getting someone adopted into your family. Mm. <clears throat> Some people know what that's like to have a a new person. Uh, if someone's born in the family or they're adopted, it's so exciting mm. when that new addition comes to the home. That changes your whole life. Mm. And they come into your life for the rest of the time that you're all there in that family. So it's a powerful thing when someone's baptized. Mm. It is. It, it definitely like, And it also represents, yeah, a radical commitment to Jesus and something that we've talked about many times on the show with the likes of Etienne McClintock or when we've just covered it into the, you know, covered it in the news, covered it in the news is that like a commitment to Jesus does not cause your life to then exponentially improve or for you to get rich or for you to be, you know, just overwhelmingly happy all the time. You know, what we're selling in Christ isn't, you know, uh, self-help, even though, I can testify, many people can, that it has helped so much. But what we're showing in Jesus is that we believe this is true and we see a God who has died and given us everything. And the reality is, is and what the, these boys, who these guys, these men who made this commitment at our church on the weekend, what they were signaling and signifying through their baptism there, you know, is that basically life without Jesus isn't worth, worth living. And that's the whole point in the symbolism. You get baptized mm. in the watery grave and the old man dies and you come up into new life. It's powerful stuff. Amen. But anyways, fantastic text messages, good, inspiring conversation. And we're going to get into our Bible study now. Um, and we're going to be opening up and we're going to be talking about, you know, as we've been going through the book of Deuteronomy and, oh, now I get to make this joke because Lyle's not here. Oh, and because oh we're studying the book of Deuteronomy, we are going to be going to... Second Kings chapter 22. Uh, we're going to be spending um, some time there and talking about a really powerful story um, that relates to the book of Deuteronomy. It relates to the topic for this week. Um, and it also relates to, yeah, the law of God and, you know, being reinstalled and all of those things taking place. So Second Kings uh, chapter 22. Actually, we're going to start reading just quickly in chapter 21, right. and Robert, I'll get you to read chapter 21, and if you can read, let's just start with verse 19. 21 verse 19, and how far do you want me to go? Just, just that verse. All right. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother was Meshulameth, 
the daughter of Haruz from Jotha. Mm, awesome. So when we read through the books of, you know, particularly Samuel Kings and Chronicles, many of the sections of, you know, many of the passages within those parts start like this. It's like, hey, there was a guy, he ruled as a king, he was related to these people, and he ruled for this amount of time. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And so, yeah, as it works its way through here, you know, it gives you, gives us some history, gives us the ability to kind of pinpoint what what time they were in. It'll, it'll usually, you know, maybe give some information about the political climate of, of what's going on um, in Jerusalem and the, uh, not only in Israel, but in the rest of the world. Uh, this specific example, not so much, but it goes on to say something that is always also included whenever it's describing a king's reign. So do you want to read for us verse 21 in chapter 21 as well? Verse 21, he followed the example of his father, worshipping the same idols his father had worshipped. Mm, so it would always denote whether the king was faithful or not. Mm. That was like a huge point is like, you know, because this is this is in the Bible. This is, you know, not just a history book, but r- written from the the biblical perspective and the, the express purpose of listing out these kings is showing the way that God worked in the nation at the time. Um, but many of the kings fell into this category, um, like this guy Ammon here. So Ammon, you know, he's born, he reigns, he dies. Um, but unfortunately, he follows the sins of his fathers and of his ancestors and worships idols. Mm. Now, we come to chapter 22, and we read about this guy named Josiah. So, let's start it off in chapter 22, and yeah, let's read verse 1 and 2. All right. Uh, 2 Kings 22, verses 1 and 2. So, Josiah, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedediah, the daughter of Adiah, from Bozkath. Bozkath. He did what was pleasing. Oh, here we go. Something, yeah. something new. He did what was pleasing <laughs> in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Mm. So. Well, how refreshing is that? It is, because legit, like, when you read through Kings and Chronicles and uh, particular, you know, the book of First Samuel is very just focused on... Uh, first and Second Samuel very focused on Saul and David. Um, Kings, there's the first book of Kings is very focused on um, Elijah. But yeah, you, you know, between periods of where it wants to go in depth and into detail, um, it will just list through these kings, and you just see one after another after another. Oh, and he walked in the way of his fathers, and he worshipped idols. And it's like even good people, like one of my, oh, one of my potential. I I think until I read the end of his story, he was one of my favorite characters. And then I read the end. So this guy named Jehu, mm. Jehu shows up, gets used by the Lord to completely cleanse every all the idolatry. And it's like, dude, Jehu is the bomb. Like, Jehu's so cool. But then you get to the end and it's like, oh, but he walked in the way of his fathers and he uh, worshipped idols and died. And uh, it's like, oh, come on, Jehu. Like, seriously. Yeah, sort of reminds me of uh, myself sometimes. <laughs> right? The light you have and you think, oh, why did I go there? Dude, and it, it shows you that the Bible is, is real. Yeah. It shows you that these are real people um, because we see this happening all the time and even in our own lives. So but he had a bad dad, man. Yeah. His dad was bad. <laughs> yeah. And look at how he turned out. Josiah, becoming king at age eight. 
Like, what a guy. Like, and this is the thing. It shows that God really worked in his situation. And thankfully, usually when a king is faithful, it opens up a little bit about his story and mm. what led to that. And we're going to be seeing that about Josiah because we get here and he's like, this guy's legit. He walks in the ways of David. Now we know that David was, for the most part, faithful. We know that, and again, it shows, you know, the humanity of the Bible as well, yeah. and, and that it is the accuracy of it, because David definitely sinned, yep. he definitely fell, he was, you know, in, in many ways, he had many flaws, one of them being he was a pretty bad parent, um, he was a pretty lustful guy, like, mm. things like that, but in the end, you know, he endeavoured to get back to God, to repent, to come back to him, and God worked in his life, and he died, and we're going to see him in heaven one day. Like, amen. Oh, that uh, gives us hope, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? And it says that this guy here, Josiah, he walks in the ways of the Lord um, in the same way that his father David did. So he's a human, just like me and you, but he's a human who chooses God. Yes. And it's awesome. That's the difference. But now we get into, okay, well, why does he choose God? Um, and we start reading from verse 3, and we see this really interesting story um, that maybe, if you're not familiar with this part of the Bible, like this this might shock you. But essentially, um, these people, the Hebrews, who, you know, we have the Bible today because of them, at some points didn't have the Bible. And didn't know where it was. So let's pick it up from verse 3 and maybe read like mm, verse 3 to 5. So in the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the grandson of Meshulam, the court secretary to the temple of the Lord. He told him, go to Hilkiah the high priest and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple and trust this money to the men assigned to supervise the temple's restoration then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple of the Lord. Yeah, perfect. So basically they are collecting money here um, and they're, you know, basically they're, they're wanting to refurbish, to rebuild the temple, and they've been collecting all this money to, to do that, uh, which is pretty pretty common, you know, and, yeah. and also they, they're, they're like, oh, and these resources will go to the people who are doing this work. Um, those resources would also go to the Levites who are running the temple and then, you know, to the high priests who are, you know, doing the sacrificial services and whatnot. And they're going on. It also says here that they had no need to take accounting. You know, God was they, – they were really trusting and they, they were like – Look, God is working in this in this space, and we believe that you're faithful. And it's hard to find those people today. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah, dude. I, I well, accountability in general in accounting, you know, accountability in 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 the space of money is is usually a great thing. But really, God was working amongst Israel at this time, and they were like, yeah. okay, no, we we believe you'll deal with this faithfully. But then we come to verse eight. Uh, do you want to read for us verse 8 and 9? Because this is super interesting. Yeah, all right. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. Shaphan went to the king and reported, Your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. Mm. So Shaphan read it to the king. So okay, so let's let's picture let's picture this right. Okay, so Shaphan, right, is oh sorry, it's Hilkiah is a high priest. Mm. He's like the pastor of Israel. Mm. He's the man. Like he is the spiritual leader. He's he's running the sacrificial services. He's you know 
orchestrating the Day of Atonement and all of the Passovers and all of these different things. He's working in the temple every single day. He is their spiritual leader. And this guy who is leading them doesn't know where where the scripture is up until he finds it. And this is like really, really key because it's like, okay, well, what made Israel so unfaithful for so long? And then Josiah comes along and all of a sudden they're faithful. Well, we're seeing this event, this correlation causation event here mm. is that they find scripture. They find the word of God in the temple. They, they, they hadn't been reading it. They didn't know where it was. And by the way, if you, you know, remember back to when they first installed a king, it was the king's responsibility to have a book of the law and to read it every single day. Um, and that's why David, you know, writes Psalm 119 because it's his big reflection on God's law. And he's writing it because he has to read it every single day. But by the time you get down to Josiah here, they've been worshipping idols. They don't know where the scripture is. They don't know where the book of the law is. Um, Which, by the way, the book of the law here referring to Deuteronomy itself and also the rest of the the Torah too. Mm. But then they show up and they're like, hey, we found it. We found the scriptures, guys. Isn't it interesting that they actually, that these people um, were like Josiah, Hilkiah, were actually faithful men, even though the book had been lost for so long. So they actually had been led by the generations before them, which Mm. we had studied last week, the importance of recognizing Mm. the value of proper training of your children and your grandchildren. Mm. And by training them, the truth can continue. That's right. But but it's interesting too, though, because Josiah himself was not trained in a proper way, as we just mentioned. Like his father was, (laughs) like his family situation was an absolute wreck. So what it shows me here is like God's like God is has been this whole time striving with Israel, but up until this point, no, no, none of these guys are choosing him to follow him. None of these previous kings and none of these previous leaders. Well, there were some that were faithful, but mostly not. Um, until you get to Josiah, they make this choice. God is working, but then the word of the Lord is restored to them. And we're going to see what happens uh, when when they read it because this is like, this is basically earth shattering to them. Not every king's mother is actually uh, mentioned, but mm. these two, Ammon and Josiah, are mentioned. Mm. Interesting. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, we're going to get back into our Bible study, our encounter with God section and you brought up something just before we went to the break about how it lists the mothers here of Ammon and it lists the mother of Josiah what was the thought there well not all the mothers of kings are are acknowledged and mm. so when they are usually it's because they had a really strong influence mm. we look at Ammon look how he turned out and history bears out that the same thing happened with Nero Nero's mm. mother was actually a pretty crazy despot according to history and mm. look at how he turned out and so now <laughs> yeah. we come back here to Josiah and oh wow completely different training even though his own dad was the way he was mm. his mum must have had a godly influence on him the mm. way it looks dude amazing and so yeah it does go to show there was you know God often you know shows up through other people it's very rare that God shows up in a vacuum he did to Moses you know, that's, that's like the perfect example. You know, Moses, obviously, he's feeling for his people. 
Um, and he, he knows, like, he's like, oh, I want my people to stop being oppressed because I'm a Hebrew, there are Hebrews. Yeah. But it's God shows up in a vacuum, really, you know, in the mm. burning bush, and it's like, hey, actually, this, is, this isn't just a, your people are being oppressed. This is God's mission needs to be done, and I want to use you. Um, whereas here, like but many, many, many other times, um, it's the contrary where God does show up in the generations. You know, it's yeah. it's person to person. It's teaching to teaching. That's the experience that we have today, you know, within the Christian church. We go and teach people about God. They have their own experience and teach someone else. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we see here with Josiah as well. So, mm. But we can say, you know, without a doubt that God is working in this space. Um, mm. And that's what, what we see when then they read the book of the law. So we come to now, I believe it's verse 12. Hmm. No, it's verse 10 and 11. Can you read that for us? Yeah, sure. Shaphan also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Mm. Now, what an experience, actually. This is wild. because, And we see this happen actually many times throughout the Bible, um, where basically the book of the law and the knowledge of God, you know, for the most part, and even when we've talked about how Josiah had good training from his parents and God was working in that space, when the book of the law gets lost and the word of the the word of the Lord isn't common amongst the people, you know, it is to be expected that there is rebellion. Um, and yes, from the corporate sense of Israel itself, but also amongst the people, like the, the, the people, everyone in, who lives in Israel is an individual. And without that influence of God in their life, you know, whether it be through, you know, them going to the high priest and reading getting read to you know the the book of the law or whatever it may be mm. um we often see that the people struggle um and, from a personal level um because you know they go into idolatry or whatever it may be and we see a few times I, my mind particularly goes to the book of nehemiah where they get read the book of the law for the first time in years and years and years and years yeah. because this is before the Bapt- babylonian captivity nehemiah is a couple hundred years later after the babylonian captivity and they have the exact same experience yeah. of yeah. they get read the book of the law and they just cry out in despair mm-hmm. and we see josiah doing that here he cries out in despair. Why do you think he's doing that? Like, why do you think he is so saddened? Oh, man, there's a realization of how mm. far they've gone. Because mm. he's the, the thing about this book of Deuteronomy is that while it shows the people the reality of how deadly sin is and how far they've gone into it, that book is absolutely full of encouragement and promises and blessings. And God's wow. saying, look, this is what I want to do for you. So even though he's in such despair because of real life, the recognition, man, look how far we've gone. He also realized what God wants to do. And what I love is the fact that he actually tears his clothes. Kings didn't do this every day. People didn't mm, tear their clothes every right. day. Oh, I'll get a new clothing today. But when they did it, it's like a biblical symbol where they're saying, you know what? My covering isn't good enough. Yeah. My present life is not working, God. Wow. I, I need this. I need a change. I need something different today. I need my own covering, my own works, you know, my own righteousness. I need it to be torn. I need it to be removed. I, I, I give up on it. It's mm. not going to work for me anymore. I'm going to tear it so I can't use it. And I need you to come in and do something different. Mm. And ultimately what we see here, if we could put this into one word, is conviction. Yeah. He is deeply, deeply, deeply convicted of the truth. Mm. He's and, and we see that in the next couple of verses. So do you want to read verse 12 and 13? 
Yeah. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and Asiah the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found, for the Lord's great anger is burning against us because of our ancestors, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. Mm. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. Wow. So, immediate, like, we see here conviction, and it's again, we need to think of the context. Josiah is called a king who follows in the way of David and is faithful to the Lord. And now we're seeing why that is. Because he, like many of the kings, I gave an example of Jehu before, right? Someone who is convicted, who carries out actions for the Lord, but ultimately yeah. falls away because of mm. idolatry. Josiah here, he gets convicted. Many of the kings were convicted. He gets convicted yeah. and he repents. He takes action. Mm. He is like, we need a change. And, he, you know, it's beautiful too because Josiah... Being in the line of kings, he's like, oh, well, why didn't the priest read the book of the law sooner? Like, <laughs> if anyone could come up with excuses, it's Josiah. I was a king at eight years old. Da, 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 da. Like, he could make an excuse for his people, but he didn't. Mm. He took personal responsibility for the sins of others, for the, yes. for the corporate sins of Israel. And he says, we have angered the Lord by our, you know, our deep disobedience. And this is the thing that we've been covering again and again and again through Deuteronomy is that God has been consistently trying to show them the right way so that they can be a light to the rest of the world. He's like, hey, guys, mm. I need to save the world, and I'm trying to use you to do so. And, like, you need to step up. Like, I, I love Josiah's response. Yeah. His immediate response is to go to God for advice. Instead of sitting down in discouragement and despair, That's right. focusing on the darkness and the negative and, oh, mm. look at that, this is hopeless. No, he went straight to God for advice. What do we do, God? Yeah. That's right. They, they they realize that they have a calling and that they can action it today. And I, you know, as we come to the end of our Bible study here, I feel like many of us have had the, you know, we've been trapped in sin and in darkness and in shame and in suffering. And we come to that point. It's like, oh man, what can I even do? Would God even accept me? That's a question that we ask. But the reality is, is that he will. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Good stuff, but right now it is time for Question of the Day. All right, what's our question of the day? All right, Lawson, the question of the day is, what can stop iniquity being found in another heavenly being as it was with Satan from Freco? Oh, awesome stuff, Freco. Okay, so essentially, yeah, you know, we go into heaven. You know, the context of heaven is eternity. Uh, sin has shown up once in eternity, you know, in the, in the heart of Lucifer. We're going to talk about that in a second. Iniquity has shown up. What stops it from happening again? Well, I want to read. I want to read about when that takes place. So if we, you know, we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14. This is, you know, one of the key passages of understanding the origin of evil and the origin of sin in the world. It talks about Satan, how he's made perfectly He's one of the mm. covering anointing cherubs. It says this in verse 14. It says, You are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You're on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Verse 15. You were made perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Mm. Iniquity. Um, and what that essentially is talking about is, <clears throat> because this is a big point, sin 
is a choice. Yeah. Like first and foremost, it, it, it plays out in two different ways. It's like sin in its initial proto kind of state here, iniquity being found in someone was a choice. It was a, it's almost like it's a lifestyle disease. Mm. And lifestyle diseases happen because of the choices that you make or the context of the lifestyle mm. that you live in. You know, there are viral infections diseases that we can't control, but lifestyle diseases are a direct, uh, a direct, you know, uh, result. result or consequences mm. of our choices. And so for here, <clears throat> there's iniquity found in his heart, and then he chooses because of that to sin. Yeah. Um, that yeah. selfishness, that pride is there. And basically, Satan's big sin, his big thing is I want to be above God. I want to do, you know, my own thing, not in the kind of liberal, you know, having autonomous and freedom of choice way, but yeah. I want to be in control of everyone else. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's that's where that's where Satan's at. And so, you know, the award takes place in heaven, Satan leaves, um, and it's it basically God gives Satan license to show, okay, this is what you want. Well, then, then show us what it equals because, you know, this is, this is a really important point too. God can't just destroy Satan as, still, as soon as he challenges God because if God destroys Satan, then the rest of the universe will look on and go, well, maybe Satan was right. Mm. So God gives Satan license to do, you know, whatever it is that can prove to everyone else that, okay, his way of life of being, you know, above God works. And so Satan shows up to earth. He tempts Adam and Eve. He tricks them, you know, well, he deceives them, but they make a choice to follow Satan instead of God. They eat the fruit and uh, the fall happens. Everything takes place there. And sin abounds amongst men. Mm. Sin begins. And it's like, okay, what was the direct result? You know, what happened after that? Did did life change for the humans? Um, You know, did things get worse? You know, was it a slow, decaying kind of descent into sin and depravity or what takes place? Well, essentially... By the second generation, you've got these two guys named Cain and Abel. They're the children of Adam and Eve. Yeah. That's when the first murder takes place, Mm. which is like one of the most egregious, terrible, heinous acts that you could possibly do. And then it's not too far after that. What follows is everything from child sacrifice to, you know, sexual slavery Mm. to, you know, polygamy, all of these terrible and awful things. So it's so clear. Firstly, why it won't pop up again is that we can easily recognize that it's negative and bad. The second point is that God then steps in, being the loving, incredible, amazing God that he is, and dies for us to save us from sin. Mm. So if that is not motivating to want to stop sinning, and this is the thing in our context where sinners born into sin, bent towards sin, we sin, we need Jesus to help us. But on the other side of eternity, when we're made perfect, it's like essentially we're like, you know, we're not bent towards sin anymore. So therefore we wouldn't make that choice to go back because of what Jesus has done for us. It's mm. so clear. It's so obvious. Jesus has done everything he can to save us from sin. So true. But the third point, and most importantly, is that we've already had the experience of sin. Because at some point, say someone in heaven, you know, that pride, that selfishness pops up in their heart and they go to, cause, because we have autonomy, we have choice. And they go to God and they say, well, why... Why don't we do things, you know, Satan's way? Maybe echo some same ideas. Like, why? And and God can sit them down in heaven. And, you know, I don't know what kind of resolution they have in heaven on, on TVs up there. But in some <laughs> heavenly vision that's in the most highest definition you can imagine, say, okay, well, let's watch what happened during 6,000 years of sin. 
and show them exactly why we wouldn't want sin again. Because he would just show them all those things I listed before. Death, suffering, sadness, everything that is not a part of their, their experience that sin causes, God would just show them. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, I do not want that anymore. So it's very clear that it won't pop up again because we already know that it's bad and why would we do it? But... All that being said, uh, we love you guys. Keep listening. We have Tazzy Encounters coming up after this. And remember to talk faith, live faith, and act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. This has been Faith FM. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.